Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You couldn't tell this by now. We take the Bible pretty seriously here, right? You guys can attest to this. How much time have we spent studying the Bible in your eight or so years here? Quite a bit. In fact, I've dedicated my adult life to studying the Bible. It's something that is simple enough for a little kid to understand. Our preschoolers understand it. But it's also deep enough that you can study it for a lifetime and barely scratch the surface of the depth and the riches and the knowledge of God. We are the Bible people, right? Sola Scriptura, one of our famous slogans of the Reformation. In fact, I've even got that tattooed in my arm over here. Scripture alone, the only rule and norm of doctrine and faith in the church. But you might be surprised to know that there is another book that is of equal importance to the Bible. As difficult or as strange as that may seem. And no, don't worry, I am not a Mormon or anything like that. There's another book that God has written, and your fate rests on the contents of this book. The only problem is that we ourselves cannot read it. Not because of language problems or anything like that. You don't need to learn Greek or Hebrew for this book. In fact, you can't. But I'm talking about the Lamb's Book of Life. It's a book that Jesus has written from before the foundation of the world. Even though, unlike the Bible, we can't crack this book open and read it, there is a way that we can determine whether or not your name is written in it. Here's a quick test. Do you want to know how to find out? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, the Word of God made flesh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Okay, good. That's not a rhetorical question. I mean, y'all just said the creed, which says you do believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. If you believe that, then you can know for certain that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. To my knowledge, there is not a single occasion anywhere in the Bible where there is the very act of writing that name in the book. It's as if all the names ever written in the Book of Life were already written there, like the Lamb wrote them in advance. The only changes ever made to the Book of Life that are recorded in Scripture are when names are blotted out. In other words, when people persist in their rejection of faith and of Jesus through the moment of their death. The only way your name cannot be in that book is if you don't want it there. When the apostles come back from a mission that Jesus had sent them on in the Gospels early on in his ministry, they were really excited that when they returned, they said to him, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says, you don't need to be excited about that. Do not rejoice that the demons submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And this is usually kind of a tricky doctrine to talk about. The biblical doctrine of election, God's choosing you for his very own. There are so many problems that arise with this when our own human reasoning tries to take the place of what is revealed in Holy Scripture. What Scripture says is this, salvation is 100% the work of God. Condemnation is 100% the work of man. The question is, if God loves everyone, which you agree he does, hopefully, yes, 
Bible's pretty clear. And if Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, which the Bible says he did, why then are some people saved and not others? Why do some come to believe and others don't? Trying to use our human reason to explain this does not work either. If you're thinking the answer is free will, it's not. Our will is not really free when it comes to matters of faith. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you would go and bear much fruit. You can choose to wear long pants or shorts, drive a Chevy or a Ram, but you can't just up and choose to become a Christian. St. Paul says that no one can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, something that we studied hard in our catechism for all these years. Many of you studied it as well, maybe more than a couple of years ago. I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in my Lord Jesus Christ or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way that he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies his whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. This is most certainly true. No one comes to Jesus except by the Holy Spirit, who comes to us through water and the word. And Paul says in Romans, how can you believe in someone that you've never heard of? Not possible. How can you hear unless someone preaches? How can someone preach to you unless they are sent? And yet God has called us by the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for you. And the Holy Spirit creates faith in us. And this is evidence of God's gracious call, his election of us from before the foundation of the world. The other error that people run into when trying to figure this out, why some are saved and not others, is that if people hear the gospel and they still don't believe it, then it must mean, logically in their thinking, that God didn't want them. That God didn't want them to be saved in the first place. But the Bible says, God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's another misuse of human reason that puts our thinking above Scripture. It's a mystery. It's a mystery of salvation, and it's one of the things that we will not ever understand with our logic in our brain, but something that we hold by faith. In fact, it's not even a thing for us to trouble ourselves with, but a matter of comfort. You have salvation right here and now because God wanted you. He chose you before he even made anything. He wanted you even before he made the world. He made you knowing full well your sins that you would commit and thought you were worthy of dying for them anyway. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. God intended this to be a comfort to us, to rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You didn't write it there. You didn't sign on the dotted line to become a Christian. You became a Christian because the Holy Spirit called you by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have been joined to Jesus Christ through his work of redemption, his saving death, his resurrection. In the vision that we heard from Revelation this morning, 
John has seen a view of the end of all things. We see what the consequences are for the statement that we proclaim throughout this season of Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. You thought that just was for April 17th, but you're wrong. We have been brought into this great city. The bride of Christ by God's grace alone through faith in Jesus, which he gave us as a gift. And you know, in looking at this passage, I have to chuckle to myself a little bit. I was an English major before I took up the study of theology. And studying literature and poetry, it, I'm always a little uncomfortable when you're mixing metaphors. Right? You've been, are you warned against this once in a while? <laughs> It can be rather difficult to get your point across in a mixed metaphor. I always like to say that mixing metaphors is like a penny saved by walking a mile in your neighbor's shoes to spite your face. It's really hard to make your point. When we mix metaphors, our results are often comically disastrous, but not so with the Holy Spirit. The revelation given to St. John is a coded message, a letter given to the persecuted church in times of distress and difficulty and tribulation, the tribulation that Jesus promised that we would have. And it's written in a code that takes the rest of Scripture to unlock it. So he's got all sorts of mixed metaphors here. Jesus is the lamb, but he's also the shepherd. He's a temple, and his followers are the bride, but his bride is also a city. Not only is the lamb the temple, but also the glory of God. And the glory of God is also the light of the nations. And those that are part of this bride slash city of the Lamb are those whose names are written in this book of life. Clear as mud, right? It may be confusing. And it seems confusing, but for those of us who know the words of Jesus from the Gospels, it all makes perfect sense. Throughout John's Gospel, he proclaims the truth that Jesus is the glory of God. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, he calls him. He proclaims that Jesus, and Jesus himself says this, is the light of the world. He's also called the Good Shepherd and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's also called the Door of the Sheep. And he refers to himself as the Bridegroom. And most importantly, please don't miss this, Jesus refers to his body as the Temple being torn down and raised on the third day when speaking of his death and resurrection. He, Jesus, is the dwelling place of God and the presence of God among us even now. He is the exact image of the invisible God, which was part of our chapel theme for this school year. And the whole bridegroom thing, groom, right? It means that he has eternally pledged himself to us with all the faithfulness of God himself and that nothing could ever drive us apart. I get it. In this day and age, we are justifiably skeptical about human marriage. Human marriages don't always last and that is a consequence of our world that has been broken by sin. But it is not so with the true bridegroom. The one of whom all good earthly husbands are a picture and a shadow. There's a reason Paul describes the union of husband and wife as a picture of Christ and the church in Ephesians chapter 5. You see, the true husband, the true bridegroom, 
gives up everything for the bride. And we as earthly husbands do our best to follow suit. Not so that we can earn God's favor, but because we've already received it. Likewise, the church submits to Christ in full confidence that because of his love for us, we know that his will for us is perfect and good. Earthly wives do their best to follow suit, not in order to earn God's favor, but because they've been favored by God already. In this promise, just the very fact of Jesus calling himself the bridegroom, he has pledged us to himself throughout all of life's journey. The revelation was written to Christians who were suffering immensely, and it also brings us consolation and comfort today also. This declaration that Jesus makes concerning marriage, quoting what he'd already spoken in Genesis, is most fitting. What therefore God has joined together, let no one tear apart. It's an imperative for us on earth, a command, but for Jesus, it's a promise. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, as St. Paul said in Romans 8. Nothing, height, depth, powers, anything in creation, not even life, not even death, can separate you from God's love in Jesus Christ. I know Revelation gets a bad rap. It's a scary book, one that's often used to scare people into straightening up. You know, like in the movie Joe Dirt. Kids, you might know this one. This is where you want to be when Jesus comes back? That sort of thing. Judgment Day and all the whole nine yards. And that's true. Jesus is coming back. But that wasn't the original understanding of this book, nor is it God's intention of giving it. It's a book to comfort us. Life is tough. And that's sugarcoating it. Our graduates this morning are embarking on the next steps of life's journey. And I am absolutely confident that they are prepared for what lies ahead because I'm confident that their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and so are yours. They and we together have come to know the love and care of Jesus throughout their days, either at St. Peter's in school or in church on Sunday, and they move forward from here as members of our church family. Same goes for us. Wherever life's journey takes you, Jesus has pledged himself to you. He has written your name in his book in his very own blood. We have come to know and to believe that Jesus, Lamb of God and Good Shepherd, King of all creation, has made us his very own. He has written our names in his book of life and has written his love for us in the Holy Scriptures. And I am sure of this, that he who has begun this good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is most certainly true. Amen. Now the peace of God that surpasses all of our human and earthly understanding, keep your hearts and minds in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.